Hello, this is the Beijing Sessions. I'm your host, Haig Balian. I'm talking today to Jennifer Lin. She's a journalist in Philadelphia. She co-directed a documentary called Beethoven in Beijing. It's streaming right now on PBS. So if you're in the United States, you can watch right after you listen to our interview. I'm recording this on Wednesday. Friday is when I'm screening the Man Who Built Cambodia. That's the short documentary I co-produced a few years ago. Um, it's been a hot ticket, and we've added a second screening at 9.30 p.m. If you are coming, if you're in Beijing and you plan to go, and if you have not RSVP'd, do not go to the 7.30 screening. Please, please, just don't don't go. Um, it's overbooked. It's stressing me out. It's stressing the venue out. Um yeah, don't go. <laughs> don't go. This should be good news. This should be good news. I'm so happy people want to see it. I'm so um, you know grateful for that. But uh, 9:30 is where you should go. I I'm going to do a Q&A after the 9:30 screening, um, and it's still going to be an awesome place, and it's going to be great. So um, hopefully, I'll see you then. Here we are. The Philadelphia Orchestra on the front page of the People's Daily, and there's Mr. Romandy, and there's myself in there. First came ping pong, and then came Beethoven. In 1973, the Philadelphia Orchestra did something no other American orchestra had done before. They took a 10-day trip to China, part of an effort to normalize relations between the two countries. To build a bridge across 16,000 miles. And 22 years of hostility, which have divided us in the past. The Chinese wanted to send a message to the United States that they were willing to talk. Beethoven in Beijing a kind of a is a new documentary about that visit and its legacy. It's streaming right now on PBS and will be available there until May 14. The film's co-director, producer, and writer is Jennifer Lin. She joins me on Zoom from Philadelphia, where she lives. Jennifer Lin, welcome to the Beijing Sessions. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, Haig, and thanks for inviting me on your show. Eugene Ormandy was this legendary conductor and musical director for the, for the Philadelphia Orchestra. He lobbied Richard Nixon for his orchestra to be the first to visit China. Why, why did he want to be the first to go to China, and why did Nixon choose him? Uh, Ormandy had a thing about being first, first at a, at a lot of... Uh, uh, milestones, and he lobbied Nixon hard. Um, I actually did a lot of research into this high research that didn't make the movie, frankly, but it will be in a book that I wrote uh, about the 1973 trip. And what I found out was that in 1971, when the American ping pong players made their surprise trip to Beijing at the invitation of Mao, uh, Ormandy was reading about it in the newspaper, and he said to his uh, general manager, a guy by the name of Boris Sokolov, he said, Boris, how do you get an invitation to China? And Boris said, well, I don't know, let's write the White House. So they, they wrote to the White House, and the White House said, well, we don't have an embassy in China. China doesn't have an embassy here, so you have to go to the nearest Chinese embassy, which was in Canada. So they wrote away to Canada, and the and the uh Chinese uh, diplomats there, you know, basically did nothing on it. 
But Ormandy just kept pushing it and lobbying, and he enlisted all of his political friends to lobby on his behalf. Um, as to why, I just think it was just such, uh, no one had ever been there before. And Ormandy was, was a man with uh, a great ego, so he wanted to be the first. Um, he also had a connection with uh, President Nixon. Nixon liked him. He gave Ormandy the Presidential Medal. He told Ormandy that he used to listen to his albums all the time when he was a, a, a kid growing up. And so when it came time uh, to send an orchestra to China, he chose, Nixon chose uh, Ormandy's Philadelphia Orchestra. Now, Zhou Enlai was also on the other side of this decision, and the Chinese had a soft spot for the Philadelphia Orchestra because in 1940, they held a benefit concert to raise money for China's medical corps. At the time, 1940, China was at war with Japan, and um, the Republic of China was uh, doing a charm offensive in the United States and doing things like holding special events, holding benefit concerts. And so Ormandy and the Philadelphia Orchestra held one of these concerts. Uh, it, again, it was 1940. And it was not something that was ever forgotten by, by the Chinese. So when the Philadelphians ended up going to China in 1973, it was mentioned on several occasions by some of the officials uh, in China. So, you know, for, for Ormandy, this was just a, a, a real coup for him. It was a political feather in his cap, and it was just something he, he really wanted to do. The orchestra planned to perform Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, and, and Ormandy got resistance from Madame Mao, uh, Zhang Qing, who, who wanted them to perform Beethoven's Sixth Symphony. Why was Zhang Qing against the Fifth, and why was Ormandy against the Sixth? They're both incredible pieces of music. Both incredible, but the fifth is about fate. And the communists didn't believe in fate. So that, that's how it was explained to me by one of uh, the people in our film, uh, Jin Dong Tsai, who's a conductor uh, and also an expert on classical music in China. So Ormandy didn't have the sheet music with him. They really didn't know what the final programs would be until they landed in China. Uh, the, for whatever reason, the Chinese were very reluctant uh, to sign off on, on the programs ahead of time. So Ormandy came prepared to play the fifth. He hated the sixth. The musicians explained that one reason he hated the sixth is it didn't show off the orchestra the way the fifth did. But uh, Madame Mao preferred the sixth, and she insisted on it. Uh, and it was up to Nick Platt, who was an American diplomat on the ground in Beijing at the time. Uh, we didn't have an embassy in Beijing, but we did have an office. So Nick Platt was the unfortunate uh, diplomat who had to convince Ormandy that he would not be playing the fifth at this special concert that Madame Mao planned to attend, that he would have to pay, play, play the sixth. And if he didn't cooperate that it could cause some sort of diplomatic incident. So he finally succumbed and, and uh, didn't often do that, by the way. But since he was in China and since there was so much attention to this, he did. And they had to really scramble to find this, the scores. They found many from the Central Philharmonic's vaults in Beijing, but they also sent a military jet down to Shanghai to pick up a few and to bring them back to Beijing for this one particular concert. 
And it was a real illustration illustration of just how good these musicians were. I mean, to be able to to still perform with you know these this, these pieces of music that were kind of incomplete or or just wrong in some cases. The, yeah, the musicians tell really funny stories. How some of them were handwritten these scores, and uh, some of the notes were wrong. But as they also explained, this was the Philadelphia Orchestra, one of the preeminent orchestras in the world. And they basically could have performed Beethoven blindfolded, so so it didn't matter so much. They 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 knew this one by heart. In 1973, the Cultural Revolution was in its seventh year, and that was hammered home to me when when you introduced Tandun, who I have to admit I didn't know about, but who's this natural storyteller, and I thought he was just he was electric on screen. Um, can you tell me Tandun's story of, of how he first heard Philadelphia Orchestra's performance? So Tandun is a composer, and most people might recognize him because of the film score he he created for the, the movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which won not only an Oscar, but also a Grammy. Um, Tandun was a teenager in 1973, he was sent down to the countryside like, like all of his peers and was working on a commune. Uh, he tells the story that when the orchestra was visiting China, he was working in the fields. And as you know, back then, people didn't have radios and TVs, and they got their news through through the, the news that was uh, broadcast over the loudspeakers. So he was in the field, and they were telling the news of the day, which was the Philadelphia Orchestra was in the country, and they played just snippets of Beethoven's Fifth and Beethoven's Sixth. And Tandun said he had never heard Western music. So now, again, this was the Cultural Revolution, and Western music was forbidden. It was considered, uh, you know, bourgeois. So he hears Beethoven for the first time and explains that it was mind-blowing, transformative, Fast forward to, to 1979, uh, Tendon at the time then was working for a Peking opera in Hunan, and they reopened the Central Conservatory. So at this point in his, is, in his life, uh, he really wanted to go to the conservatory to study composition. He was a violinist, so he entered the Central Conservatory, he tried out, there were about, as he recalls, about 10,000 people who were trying out for only, uh, I think there were 100 slots in the Central Conservatory and even f- far fewer just for the composition students. He, he tried out and he was accepted. He went on to study in the United States. He got his master's at Columbia University and he went on to a, a very stellar career. Um, he is a musician who truly blends the East and the West, and that sounds so trite, but it's it's actually true in his case. And um, uh, he has a long history with the Philadelphia Orchestra. He performed many of his uh, pieces with them, premiered many of his pieces with them, including Nushu, which was really his masterpiece. The Nushu Symphony is based on this uh, the secret language that is spoken by women in the countryside of Hunan. And the Philadelphia Orchestra premiered that in Philadelphia in 2014, and then took it on the road, performing it in Beijing, and then going to Hunan 
and performing it in Changsha. Now, Changsha is sort of off the beaten track for top-tier foreign orchestras, but in this case, the Philadelphia Orchestra really made a special uh, you know, exception and, and went to Hunan and performed because it was Tandun's home province. So there, there's this wonderful uh, you know, connection to the Philadelphia Orchestra that really dates back to 1973. You know, actually, what, one of the sentiments that that stayed with me from the film, and and I forget who said this, and I'm and I'm paraphrasing this, is that diplomacy is like the weather. Even if even if it's cold up there, it might be warm down here, and and that struck a chord with me because I think it's these human connections that are so so important, and I think the film's release now comes at the perfect time when, when relations between these two countries are. I mean, they're not, they're not that great. And, and your film ends with this idea of classical music as a, as a bridge between the East and West. So I wanted to take one of the people that you follow in the film, Lang Lang, who's, who's a, a pianist and who is now a, a composer. How, how is he an example of that connection between China and the West? Well, Lang Lang is very interesting because um, he, he was a boy of 10, I think it was, in 1993 when the Philadelphia Orchestra returned to China after 20 years and performed at the Great Hall of the People. And Long Long at the time was a student in Beijing, and he attended that concert. Um, when he turned, I think he was 15 or 14, he went to the United States to study, and he, he ended up at the Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia. And as he explains in the film, uh, he, he had student tickets to go hear the orchestra every Saturday, and he said he, he went without fail. He grew up, uh, so to speak, with the Philadelphia Orchestra. And um, when he was about to make his uh, professional debut in China, it ended up being with the Philadelphia Orchestra. So Long Long just has this this close connection uh, with the Philadelphia Orchestra. And I think he's performed with them about 20 times. But going back to something you said, um, that quote about uh, the weather, how it can be stormy up above, but the, but the weather can be calm, uh, at ground level. That was really, that was said by Nick Platt. And he was the diplomat who was, uh, on the ground escorting the orchestra around China in 1973. And, you know, when we locked our film, I'll never forget it. We locked on March the 1st, 2020, just before the world sort of ended as we, as we knew it. And um, it, it was a very uh, disappointing time because we had plans for taking our film on the road and we had gotten into 15 film festivals and we were, we were expecting to, to show it to audiences all around the country. And of course, none of that happened. Well, we, we showed it in two places at drive-ins. Uh, all the other film festivals were were virtual, so there there was nothing that was happening. And as we've all witnessed in the past year, relations between the U.S. and China have really deteriorated. And back in in March of a year, of last year, I was thinking, God, you know, this is like the worst time to come out with a film about China. But really, you know, in retrospect, it's actually a very good time because it reminds us of what Nick Platt said, which is there can be a lot of political tension between the two countries, but when you look at people-to-people connections, like, like in the music world, you know, there are, there, there are these 
collaborations and engagements, which are really important. The last time I went to China to film for the documentary was in May of 2019, just as the Trump administration had launched kind of a trade offensive with China. So relations between the two countries were were bad and they were getting worse. So you could really sense it on the ground. But then when you go into inside the concert hall, in this case, the NCPA, the National Center for Performing Arts, you know, it's, it's an audience full of diverse people and we're all enjoying Beethoven at the same time. So music, music connects us and that's a truism. Uh, and music, I think, is a way of, of building bridges Again, you know, it kind of sounds trite, but it's true. And we needed that in 1973, and we need that now. And I think it's really important. It's essential to, to maintain these, these people-to-people engagements, uh, and particularly through, through art and culture. You, you mentioned in another interview that it took some convincing for the Philadelphia Orchestra to participate in the film. Uh, why didn't they want to be part of the film? And, and how did you convince them to let you in? Well, you know what? I don't think it, it was that they didn't want to be part of the film. I just think it's a huge organization and getting them to, to make a decision takes a long time. So I first approached uh, someone at the orchestra in, in 2014 um, and it was taking them a while to kind of make a decision one way or the other. But really, um, I wasn't going to wait. So I started interviewing musicians on camera back in 2015. I, I remember I had a sit-down interview then with Tan Dun, the composer who we talked about, in January of 2016. And it was then that I uh, partnered with a, a filmmaker here in Philadelphia by the name of Sam Katz, who has a company called History Making Productions. And he, he agreed to team up with me. This is my first film. And Sam has met, made many films, many documentaries. So in the, the uh, early part of 2016, Sam agreed to, to work with me and raise the money so we could travel to China with the orchestra. By then, the orchestra had said, yes, you know, we'll do it. So um, they they cooperated fully and gave us full access to not only performances, but uh, backstage access and access to rehearsals, both in China and back home in Philadelphia. So, so the Philadelphia Orchestra was actually a great partner, but it, it did take them just a long time to kind of make a decision. And as you say, this is the first film you've you've directed. Uh, why did you want to make the story into a film? In two thousand eight, uh, the newspaper, the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, asked me to go to China to cover a special concert that they were holding to commemorate the thirty fifth anniversary of the nineteen seventy three tour of the Philadelphia Orchestra. And the reason they sent me was that I knew my way around China. I had lived there in the late 1990s, uh, and the two classical music critics at the newspaper, for whatever reason, they couldn't make the trip, so they asked me to go. And um, I really, that was, I think, the aha moment when I thought this would make a great movie. So I, I went to China to write about the orchestra's concert. Uh, again, this was 2008, and they had just opened the NCPA, uh, but the concert was held in the old Hall of Nationalities 
they played the the same program that they performed in 1973. And I was really struck by two things during that assignment. Uh, one was the degree of nostalgia that people had in China for the Philadelphia Orchestra. I can remember talking to people as they were coming and going to the concert and the real genuine sentiment uh, that they seemed to have towards the Philadelphians. The other thing that really struck me was how the music landscape had changed so dramatically from when I lived there in the late 1990s. So in the course of a decade, you had new concert halls like the NCPA that were opening and in other cities, uh, you know, concert halls opening in, in Tianjin, in Shanghai, all over the place. And, uh, you know, as a storyteller, I, I thought, you know, I can write about this and I did, but this is really a story that should be seen and heard, not just read about. I have always been in, interested in filmmaking, partly because uh, my son is a documentary filmmaker and I joke how I, I wanted to grow up to be just like my son. So when I, I left the newspaper in 2014, in order to pursue some other projects, I, I finished writing a family memoir about my father's Chinese family. Uh, it's a book called Shanghai Faithful. So I finished my, my book, and then I turned my attention to launching the documentary. It it just seemed like such a a, a thrilling topic not only because it's the Philadelphia Orchestra, but also this is this is a chapter I I think of of U.S. China history that was fading, and I think even in the Philadelphia Orchestra's hometown, a lot of people didn't realize just how popular the orchestra was in China. So I I thought this would be a, a great story to tell through film. So that's really the the uh, genesis of it. So th- so that actually really leads nicely into my next question, because I, I want to talk a little bit about the business side of the orchestra, which which you touch on in the film. Um, and, and I want to ask about the orchestra's motives for touring here in China in, in recent years. So for someone who doesn't know anything about the business of classical music, at, at these levels, it's, it's pretty big money. So in, in 2011, after years of leadership and, and financial turmoil, the Philadelphia Orchestra filed for bankruptcy uh, protection. They came out of it a year later, and they were doing pretty well before the pandemic. Um, In 2016, the musicians briefly went on strike uh, until they got a new contract um, that brought the base pay to musicians to around $138,000 by the final year of their contract. Um, Yannick Nezay-Sagan, the orchestra's musical director, earned almost $1.4 million from the orchestra in 2018. Um, in 2019, the orchestra's budget was like $50 million, and its endowment had grown to $212 million, which is which is not chump change. Um, one of the people you speak with in the film is Alison Volgamore. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, she, she was the president of the orchestra from 2010 to 2017. And, and she said that coming out of the bankruptcy, the orchestra saw China as a as a second market, an income producing but grounded in mission effort to secure touring for the orchestra. That, that's her quote. And she talks about creating these musical bonds that will allow the US and China to, to hear each other a little differently. And earlier, another person you interview, uh, Sheila Melvin, she points out that many orchestras see China as an economic necessity. So I have to say, like, given the orchestra's budget, given it, it that it needs China to be a second market, that cultural mission that Vol- Volgamore talks about rings, 
I don't know, it rings a little hollow to me. And, and maybe the economics of the orchestra might be a little bit out of whack. So is the orchestra trading on its history with China so that it can tap into the huge market? Or am I just being way too cynical? I think you're being a little cynical. I think what is happening really uh, goes beyond just the Philadelphia Orchestra. I think you have to look at the world of music in a broader context. And um, China really has energized the world of music. When you look at who's performing in China, it's not just the Philadelphia Orchestra. It's the London Philharmonic. It's the New York Philharmonic. It's, it's Vienna. It's every major orchestra is really adding Beijing and Shanghai, at least, to their touring schedules. And why is that? Well, there's just a, a burgeoning market and interest for classical music in China. And I think, you know, Yannick, one of the comments that he made in the film is that, uh, you know, to, to sustain this art form, you need young people embracing this music. And the one place where they truly are doing that is in China. So I, I think all orchestras are really looking at China as, as now part of, of uh, where they need to be. I think in the case of the Philadelphia Orchestra, what's what's unique about them is um, they they made a commitment. I think it started in 2012 to basically tour on an annual basis. They've been there now a total of 12 times, 12 times, which I believe is more than any other American orchestra. And the thing that's unique about them is when they go to China, they really do try to engage. It's not like one and done where they perform in Beijing and then they're off to Shanghai. They do a lot of of outreach locally, uh, residencies, uh, they call it, uh, in every city where they tour. So that could mean going to the Central Conservatory and doing a master class. It could mean outreach, you know, at elementary schools or, or within the community at hospitals, things like that. Um, the orchestra does recognize that they do have a unique place in in uh, Chinese history, uh, and they have you know th- they have taken advantage of that um, you know but but it's genuine I think. Um, you, so I, I I don't think it's just the Philadelphia Orchestra. I think it's all orchestras in in the world really European orchestras, American orchestra orchestras which have turned to China because they do see it as a place where where there's a growing interest in this art form, whereas in uh, the United States, it, it's an art form that, that is um, struggling uh, financially to maintain uh, its, its place. Well, I, for one, am really looking forward and I'm really anticipating their, their next visit. So, um, you know, thank you so much for making this film, Jennifer, and, and thank you so, so much for talking to me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I enjoyed it too. Thank you to Jennifer Lin. Uh, Beethoven in Beijing will be screening on PBS until mid-May. I'll put the link in the show notes. If you want more info on the film and where it will be available in your area, check out beethoveninbeijing.com. Next week, I'm talking Beijing Winter Olympics with China Sports Insider Mark Dreyer of Chinasportsinsider.com. There are fewer than 300 days to go and still a lot of questions. I'll talk to you then. Mm-hmm.